we follow Christ, please stand. We follow Christ. We follow Christ. We follow Christ. Come, let us worship our Creator. seated. As you are, uh, let me welcome everyone to worship today, both members and guests alike. We're glad that you're able to be here today. Some of you have been away for a while. You've been unable to attend, and we're glad that you're back. And others, uh, maybe this is your first time here, so we're glad that you're with us today. We would uh, ask that everyone present take the registration tablet into the pew. Uh, there should be one at the end of each pew, and you can Put your name in there and let us know who you are, and that way we'll have a record of your attendance with us, too. Southside Baptist Church is here in the heart of Five Point South, building an inclusive community of grace, first in this community and then beyond, and we do everything we can to welcome all into this place of worship, and we trust that the Lord has led you today and that through the time of worship today that your spirit will be lifted 
through the time of singing and prayer and scripture reading and the preaching that we hear. We would also like for you to take a moment to pass the peace of Christ to those close to you. So if you would take that moment and speak to those close to you by saying to them, may the peace of Christ be with you. you make your way back to your place and are seated, we'll continue in worship with prayer. Oh Lord, we your children gather in this place today. We come here expecting that during this time of worship that not only will we offer up our words of praise and adoration and thanksgiving to you, but we will also enter in a time of listening and hearing and being moved to, to action through your word. Bless our time of worship today, and may all that we do be pleasing in your sight and bring glory unto you. Amen.
be seated. Our first lesson of scripture for today is Psalm 138. I'll be reading all eight verses of Psalm 138. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May the singing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes, and your right hand you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. Here ends our first reading of scripture. Gospel reading is from the Gospel of Luke and chapter 5, and reading the first 11 verses. Uh, in honor of the Gospel, will you stand if you're able? Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. 
Sorry, Chris. My fault. <laughs> oh, he's in the back, back there. Well, it's good to see you all today. Y'all doing okay? Yeah. Well, Martin got here just in the, at the right time. He timed it perfectly to arrive here as we finished up the Gloria Potter. Did you know that? I saw him coming down. He got here just in time. And, you know, that is what we sometimes call God's timing. That is, God's always on time, not early, not late, but right on time. So, Martin, you were here right on time. We, we are glad that you're here today, as well as the rest of you, too. Today, um, I want to talk to you. I don't have any fishing boat or fishing net to, to cast to be able to show that for fishing, uh, getting, catching fish. You can put one in here. Put it right in there. Thank you. But I do have something else I want to show you, and it has to do with um, why we're here. Now, every week when you go to Sunday school, what do you, what do you get around to talking about eventually? Well, you can say it louder. Real loud. Yeah, and this thing is still not working right. Yes, Jesus. Now, that's right. So what I want to do is I want to talk to you. This is something I got about 20 years ago. And I want you to tell me what you, what you think about it. What do you see on it? Abby, come over here closer. We can. Okay, it's Jesus on the cross. Dove in his hand. But now, is he really on the cross? Sort of, but not quite, right? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a little bit like a crucifix, but it's not exactly because it shows Jesus coming down off the cross. It also shows us that even though he was on the cross, there was a purpose in that. The purpose was that he was able to bring peace to the hearts of all people as they or find forgiveness of sins. Yeah. So when we see this, it reminds us that even when Jesus called his disciples to follow him, and he said, I'll make you fishers of men, what he was saying is, I'm going to make you fishers of men that will go out and, as the hymn said, you'll be fishing for the souls of men. You'll share this gospel, the good news, which is the good news of love and peace. Now, if you look at this, we don't, you know, in, in Certainly in um, most Baptist and Protestant churches, we, we don't show Jesus on the cross because he is, was taken down, he was buried, and he was resurrected. But this is very uh, clear in showing us what it was that he did this for. Do you see it, Abby? Do you understand what it, it was that he went to the cross, he was crucified, and that in going there, he was doing that so that all men, all children, all boys and girls, all those who would believe would have the peace that comes through knowing him and knowing that he has forgiven us of our sins if we confess him, but also that he um, will be with us forever. So when we look at any time we see a cross, it is a reminder to us that that is what has transpired. It's very symbolic, but very meaningful to us all. So as, as we listen to Dr. Roxburgh, what is it? Right, still there, but mm -hmm. right. Yeah, I would say it did. Mm -hmm. So think about this as you see the, the, the cross, as you see or hear someone talk about what Jesus did for us. 
this will be a symbol to let us know that he brings us peace as we are forgiven of our sins and will remain with him forever and ever. Let's pray together. Lord, bless us this, <clears throat> this day. May we remember fully what it is that you have done for us, that you have and, and broken down uh, that which separates us from you, that through the cross and, and your resurrection that we have life that's abundant and free. Bless each of these children. May we continue to lead and guide them in a way of deeper understanding of your word. In Christ's name. join me in prayer this morning. Gracious, loving, forgiving God, we come into your presence as we have come so many times to worship you and adore you. And we ask that as we come to worship you and lay our lives to you before you, that you would guide us in such ways that we may always offer our worship, not as a tradition or a duty, but rather as a joyful privilege and a profound encounter. As we draw near to you in faith, we ask that you would draw near to us. Grant us the ability to live responsibly in this world. Make us sensitive to your wisdom as we exercise whatever responsibilities are given to us in our daily lives. Give us wisdom and help as always to consider the needs of others. Loving God, we bring to you this world of so much pain, so much need and sorrow, a world you care for so deeply that you willingly gave your son for its salvation. We ask that you would renew the life of your church throughout the world. We pray that our lives may be changed and we may be given a deeper love, binding us together with people of different faiths in one family seeking to bring people to know you. We lay before you the challenges and opportunities which confront us as a nation. And remember before you all who bear the heavy responsibility of political leadership. We pray this morning for those whose burdens are unseen, those troubled in body, soul, or mind. We pray for all who are suffering from a lack of love in their lives and all who feel that they have been abandoned even by yourself. We pray for those who feel they can no longer cope by themselves for all who are in care, for loved ones left at home, and for all who care for others. We remember this morning those who are dying at home in hospice and hospital, and also for those who have been bereaved. We lay before you our family life, our loved ones with us and those far away, those on earth and those who have entered into your nearer presence. We give thanks for the fellowship of those whose journey is over, who hunger and thirst no more, who have been refreshed and restored in your nearer presence. We pray that we may share with them in the fullness of life eternal. Gracious God, hear these our prayers as we offer in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, 
who taught us to pray and to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Friday morning at Samford, I was teaching two classes in Christian theology. Well, actually, I was showing excerpts from a movie. On Wednesday of last week, we were thinking about the doctrine of providence, of how God provides and overrules and seeks to undergird our lives and help us to stay on track. And so on Friday, we watched part of the movie by uh, Matt Damon and Emily Blunt, Adjustment Bureau. And in between classes, I went out into the corridor to get a break myself. I knew I would have to watch the same thing again for the next hour. And I was talking to a friend who teaches in the classics department, and she said to me, well, what's your favorite movie? And quick at a flash, I said, well, it's, it's Chariots of Fire. It's that movie about the Scot, Eric Liddell, who won an Olympic gold in the Paris Olympics in 1924. Uh, it's the opening part is the runners of the British team who were preparing for the Olympics and they're running along the, the beach at St. Andrews. And it just so happens there's an orchestra there and they're playing Vangelis uh, music and it always brings a lump to my throat. The story of Eric Liddell is remarkable, I think. He was going to be running in one particular race and then he discovered that it was going to, the heats for that race were going to be set on a Sunday. And he'd been raised in a very strict Presbyterian congregation in the 1920s, and he didn't feel he could. And even although the then Prince of Wales tried to get him to run by hook or by crook, he said, I will not do it. So they managed to change things around, and he eventually ran in the 400-yard uh, race, which was not his race by any means. He was given a little verse of scripture by a fellow runner that said, those who honor me I will honor, and he won the gold medal. It's a remarkable story. His sister is very suspicious about all this running he's doing because he has responded earlier on in his life to go where his parents had been to China as a missionary. And so she tries to convince him to give up the running and go as quickly as possible to China. He says to his sister, Jenny, I believe God has made me for a purpose, for China, but he has also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. The call of God comes to us all in a whole variety of different ways. That call that came to these disciples in Luke chapter 5, as God said to them, follow me. Sometimes that means that we will have a, a literal uh, change of direction for our lives. Or it may mean that within what we're doing, God is just asking us to follow him in a different way. The story is familiar. It's told in various gospels in slightly different ways. Luke tells a story about Peter. There's no mention here of his brother Andrew. But there is James and John who are partners with Peter in a fishing uh, business. Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee and speaks to Peter. And he says, let me go into your boat. And you think, what a strange thing for somebody to say. Why did Peter allow it? Well, earlier on in the previous chapter, we can see that actually Jesus has met Peter before. And Peter has brought Jesus to his house and his mother-in-law has been ill and Jesus heals this woman. And so Peter has seen Jesus at work. So it's not surprising that when he asks if I can sit in your boat and teach because of such a crowd, is that okay? So the familiarity between the two of them is why Peter says to Jesus, yes. 
The story is about the call of Jesus, follow me and I will make you catch people. I sometimes wonder why Jesus chose the 12 that he did. There are only three of them mentioned here. Had he checked their references? What were their SAT scores like? All we know is that these people were not in a synagogue. They weren't on any silent spiritual retreat. They were fishing. They were busy at hard work. And in the midst of the hustle and bustle of everyday life, the call of God came to them and it said, follow me. Because it's really in the hustle and bustle of our everyday lives that we hear the voice of Jesus calling us in whatever we find our vocation to be, to take the opportunities to serve him and to serve other people. Were they full-time disciples at this stage? I don't think so. I doubt it. I don't think they probably spent every minute of every day walking around Galilee with Jesus. I think at times they probably kept working. Maybe he did too. Discipleship, following Jesus, happens in the context of our everyday lives, whatever that might be. They figured out how to be faithful to him as they did what they needed to do, just like you and I have to do. There's a lot of humanity and humor in this story. Simon's initial reaction of veiled irritation, I suspect, to Jesus um, shouldn't surprise us. I mean, he's just finished a night of fishing and catching nothing. So they've come back to shore, they've washed the nets, they've got things stocked up for the next night, and he's just about to go home, and I suspect have something to eat and go to sleep. And Jesus comes along and says, let me go into your boat, please. Smelly, frustrated, tired. Simon saw Jesus walking towards him. Jesus comes and he says, follow me. And then Jesus says, and after he's taught them, he says, go into the deep part of the lake and cast out your nets. And again, frustration is welling up in Simon Peter's mind. I mean, Jesus, we have been fishing all night and there is nothing out there biting at all. But he goes out and the net becomes full of fish. I don't know what fish were, catfish, grouper, red snapper, all the kind of things you enjoy, I know. Too much to get into one boat, so a calls for the other people to come, the other boat in the business, James and John, and, and, and both boats can't contain all that they have caught. They're about to sink. And Peter realizes Jesus is somebody different than anybody else. And he gets down on his knees in front of him, and he says, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Jesus is aware of his shortcomings. He confesses that shortcoming to God. It's interesting, he doesn't confess his sin to receive grace. He has seen the demonstration of the grace and the generosity and the love of God towards him that after a night of getting nothing, he has enough fish to sell to keep them going for a couple of weeks. Jesus has demonstrated grace towards him yet again. And his response is, Lord, I don't deserve this. The call to discipleship comes with scandalous, almost unreasonable demands. It's interesting that Jesus just asks him to follow him. He comes before him and he says, Lord, depart from me. Discipleship often begins with a realization of our own need, with an awareness that we're not the people that God wants us to be, that we've made lots of mistakes. I suppose it's the same reason that Alcoholics Anonymous 
starts the 12-step program with admit you're powerless and your life has become unmanageable. That's a hard thing to say. Admit you're powerless and your life has become unmanageable. Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful person. And in all of our lives, we're powerless. In all of our lives, we know that there are things that are unmanageable. And so in the midst of the business of life, we come to church on a Sunday like this, and we come to come into the presence of God and to seek his mercy and grace and his help. And Jesus says, follow, trust, put your life into my care. Faith is much more than intellectual assent. Faith is about trusting Jesus, listening to him. And in that old-fashioned revival hour kind of way of speaking, giving your heart to Jesus. William Sloan Coffin, in his book Credo, wrote, I believe is best translated, I've given my heart to Jesus. Marcus Borg put it this way, the heart is a metaphor for a deep level of self. A level below our thinking, feeling, and willing. Our heart is deeper than our head. It's allowing Christ to take control. Faith begins not with a set of beliefs necessarily, adhering to a creed, but rather hearing a voice that says very simply, follow me. Sometimes a whisper, sometimes a nudge. We're invited to trust him, to bet everything on him. It says here they left everything and followed him. As I say, I don't know if that was just at that stage and along the way they're still doing some fishing. Seems to be that by the time the end of Jesus' ministry takes place. Peter is washing the nets. They're part of a family business. To give up everything is quite hard. Jesus invites us to follow him in different ways. For some, it is literally giving up everything and following him. For some, it's a, a change of direction in terms of, of vocation. Over the past few weeks, when the choir have been singing that lovely response to the first reading of Scripture, Open My Eyes That I May See, it's re been reminding me of being in the Lake District in Great Britain. And you can all go to the Lake District in Great Britain if you come the tour of 2020 with me next summer. But that's just by the way. And I was in the Lake District with my father. In 1973, I'd been working in the Royal Bank of Scotland after high school, and we sang that hymn every morning of the week of convention at Keswick, just before the speaker gave the Bible study. It was during that week that I gently, although with some hesitation and some concern, heard the voice of Jesus say to me, follow me into pastoral ministry. That made a big change in my own life, a change that I'm still living with. The voice of Jesus calls us in different ways. Perhaps it's just going to continue to be where you find yourself, whatever your responsibilities are, in the office, at school, whatever you are seeking to do the will of God. He says, follow me. And he never chooses people who are perfect. Have you noticed that? <laughs> he comes to these men and they will mess up a lot along the way. They'll argue that they don't have enough food to feed a multitude. They'll disagree with one another as to which of them is the greatest. 
And in a display of surprising hubris, two of them will point blank ask Jesus if they can be on the board of Follow Jesus Company as CEO and CFO. And then at the end of everything, when Jesus is arrested and being interrogated and tortured, Peter will deny him three times with cursing, with oaths that he ever knew him. And every one of them will run away and he will hang on the cross absolutely alone. To follow Jesus doesn't mean to say that we're perfect. To follow Jesus doesn't mean that we'll never stumble, never fail. But the remarkable thing is that he never, never, never gives up on us. That was my experience anyway. At every step of the journey, they discovered grace. And here they discover the grace of God who calls them. And even though they feel inadequate for the task, it certainly Peter does, and says, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful person. You don't want anything to do with me, Lord. He says, follow me. Follow me, and I will help you to catch people. Catch fish. Other gospels speak about fishing, literally, and fishing for people. Fish was a code word in the early church. The Greek word, ichthus, meant fish, but it was also a, a, an acronym for Jesus Christ, Son of God and Savior. And so when somebody met another person and they weren't sure in the context of persecution and resistance to being a Christian, if that other person was a Christian, they would perhaps draw the top half of what looked like a fish. And the other person, if they were a Christian, would reciprocate and draw the under part. They knew that they had this in common. Fishing was a symbol, was a catchphrase for bringing other people into the kingdom of God. The meaning simple, when we begin to follow Jesus, it's inevitable that we will serve him and in doing so we'll serve others. To follow Jesus not only means that our lives will be changed, but we want other people to have the opportunity for their lives to be changed as well to help others, to draw others into a relationship with him. Now, Jesus is not talking about forcing people, manipulating people, imposing yourself on people, being obnoxious and trying to bring people to Jesus. You've all met people who are a bit like that. But the meaning is simple. You just want to bring others into the company of Jesus. The current Archbishop of Canterbury in England has suggested recently a way of thinking about helping people when we feel that we don't really know what to do. He suggested to begin by praying for five people, just doing it every day. Five people, perhaps in your family or at work or neighbors, just pray for them. Name them in the presence of God and pray that you might have the opportunity or if the opportunity does arise, that you might naturally share in the things you do as well as the things you speak about what Jesus Christ means to you. To be a Christian is to follow him. To be a Christian is to serve him. To be a Christian is to serve others. That's what this story is about. Jesus is calling these people, three of the men we hear, to follow him. And he says, and I'll make you fishers of people. To follow him, to trust him, to do it day by day, to hear the voice of Jesus calling him. It's a call that comes, as I said earlier on, to all of us. The vocation of loving God and loving our neighbors. And that vocation 
sometimes, as it has been for Dr. Kelly and myself, has been to be involved in pastoral ministry in the life of the church. But for the vast majority of Christian people, it's being involved in other areas of life. Medicine, law, business, teaching, farming, politics, music, art, construction, bus driving, street cleaning, plumbing, steadfast parenting, caring for those who are elderly. It means that the whole of life, not just what we do where we work or serve, but in the life also of the Christian church and community, we serve, we trust, we seek to be a means of blessing to others. And through it all, we sense the purpose of God. We sense the smile of God. Jenny, Jenny, you've got to understand, I believe God has made me for a purpose for China, but he's also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Will you come and follow me if I but call your name? Will you go where you don't know and never be the same? Will you let my love be shown? Will you let my name be known? Will you let my life be grown in you and you in me? That's our hymn of promise this morning. A hymn of John Bell of the Iona community, number 473. Will you stand and sing it in response this morning?
please join me in prayer. Dear Lord, as we come here to praise and worship you, as we gather together to give you thanks, as we join together to learn how to be like you, help us be willing to open our hearts to be able to give to you, knowing that all we have is yours and resting assured that our tithes will be used to further your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Lord, we present these tithes and offerings to you. We ask that you would bless them and multiply them and that they would be able to be used to further your gospel, to relieve the pain and the suffering, and also to call others to follow in our daily ministry. Watch over each person who is given and may you bless them as well. Amen. To be seated, please, for just a moment. Just two or three things to announce. Uh, first, I want to welcome those who are guests today and those who have been able to be have not been able to be here with us in a while. So we're glad that you're here. Do hope that you'll linger long enough to share in some refreshments there in Narthex uh, right after we're uh, dismissed. Also, to uh, let you know, this week will be a 
couple of different things. We have, uh, we have a meeting tomorrow night, of course, a deacon's meeting, but then on Wednesday as we gather again, we have a guest speaker that will be with us, Steve Harmon, who is from Gardner-Webb uh, Divinity School, or is, and I'm not sure what his role is there, but anyway, he will be here and he will be speaking on Baptist identity and the ecumenical future. And he is uh, here for a special series at, at uh, Sanford this week, so you'll want to come and be a part of that uh, on Wednesday evening. And then we have our usual activities on uh, Thursday of men's Bible study and then communion service at 5.30. Hope that you'll be able to assemble with us and, and enjoy that, participate in those events with us. As we go, receive the blessing of God, blessing of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to be with you now and forevermore. Amen.